This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Jim Sutter, CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Global sugar subsidies are increasing and a threat to 142,000 sugar industry jobs in the U.S. Learn more about the American Sugar Alliance Zero for Zero Sugar Policy at sugaralliance.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with USEC Jim Sutter next. Sugar subsidies in 120 countries are on the rise and threatening 142,000 U.S. jobs. That's why the American Sugar Alliance is pushing for a global subsidy ceasefire. Their goal is a subsidy-free world market that fosters efficiency. And they know that unilateral disarmament of America's no-cost policy without concessions from abroad will only outsource U.S. jobs and reward foreign subsidizers. The plan is called the Zero for Zero Sugar Policy. And you can learn more at SugarAlliance.org. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. U.S. Soy Export Council CEO Jim Sutter says following the shift to market-based risk management farm programs in the 1990s, U.S. soybean farmers capitalized on global growth of the middle class and increased demand for meat. Even with increased production, Sutter says U.S. soybean farmers sold 60% of their crop to foreign buyers. Now those same farmers are struggling to maintain global market share and the face of trade conflicts with key trading partners. We started to see it coming when there was first talk of tariffs and then the all-out, I guess people are calling it a trade war, began. And we saw the retaliatory tariff put on by China, which had been our number one market for soybeans. So we said, hey, we've, we've you know, that we don't know how quickly that will end. That really is way beyond us to solve that issue. So we said we need to, we need a couple different things we're going to work on to try and help mitigate the problem. So we developed a short-term game plan or a short-term strategy, and we're calling it the what it takes effort. What it takes to be able to keep U.S. exports unchanged with dropping China's level from being, you know, the last year 40% of our exports down to less than 5% of our exports this year. So we have outlined where we think all those soybeans, soybean meal, soybean oil needs to go in order to keep those exports, as I said, unchanged. Now, our organization, we don't sell anything, so we have this strategy, but we're working with U.S. exporters, we're working with importers all around the world, and we're really focusing on trying to help ensure that we keep U.S. soybeans moving at at least the same pace as they did last year, uh, we've got a big crop coming, and that really is our short-term strategy, is trying to do everything we can to smooth the way, whether it's with trade servicing events or trying to solve non-tariff trade barriers, other kind of market access issues, in order to keep our soybeans and products flowing out of the U.S. It took a long time to build China's market, but yet there is a global demand for soy. The U.S. sold a tremendous amount of soybeans to China, as you have mentioned, but Brazil and Argentina sold to other sources. And the administration said what you'll find is a shuffling of the deck. The Brazilian beans will go to China, and we'll take over the rest of the markets. We'll sell them at some price. That turned out to be prophetic. We are increasing market share with other customers, but we're also seeing less money than we had been before. That is indeed what's happening, and it's the probably the... You know, as, as I've watched ag commodities over the years, this is certainly the biggest, you know, sort of one-time shift in trade flows that I've ever seen, and it's and it's happening, as you said, with U.S. farmers 
kind of bearing the brunt of this because U.S. soy is being discounted today or other origins are being paid up for. You know, they're, they're trading at a premium price. And I really think that's because the global market looks at U.S. soy and they say, well, they're going to have this big surplus. We can, we can buy those soybeans cheap. Um, so I think what, what we need to do to try and help offset that, at least what we're talking about internally, is trying to help show this world market that there is demand for U.S. soy, that we have all of these other markets that we have gotten started taking U.S. soy, again, working with exporters and importers, and and that we are able uh, to not have this huge stocks buildup. And then I think we'll start to see this price spread narrow. Not until that time. I think we have to show that we have we can have the capacity to have large exports even without China. The tariffs have taken the headlines between the U.S. and China, but a reality is a record crop out of Brazil and what looks to be a record crop in the U.S. Most economists would suggest you were headed for lower income anyway because of supply and demand, but the tariff situation has exacerbated the situation. I fully agree. You know, the tariff situation has has really put the whole world thinking that the U.S. is going to be the place where the stocks that are going to, you know, inevitably with a record Brazilian crop, record U.S. crop, as you said, we probably will grow global stocks a little bit. And if you look at USDA's numbers, it's a small growth. But I think what the what the market is thinking is that all of that growth is going to happen in the U.S. in terms of these stocks. And that's why U.S. soybean prices are discounted versus other origins. And we've got to try and show that we have this export demand so that that, tr- that spread in price narrows up. So you can't change the relationship between the U.S. and China. That's for the Trump administration and the leadership in China. But the things that you can do with those markets that are available, what are the points that you're trying to bring out that can provide some short-term help here? Well, we're doing things like, uh, you know, trying to make sure that we get buyers and sellers together, importers and U.S. exporters, not that they don't necessarily uh, already know who each other are, but we conduct trade servicing events around the world where we where we allow them to interact, and hopefully we see some some new purchasing activity taking place. We are putting in a special a special emphasis on the Pacific Northwest and the ability to g- attract buyers to come to that market, because China has been such a large buyer off of that particular load range that now with China not buying U.S. soybeans or a very very limited quantity. That is a particular market that is suffering, and as those soybeans don't go off the Pacific Northwest, they'll back up into other markets. So we are working with buyers that could be potential buyers off the PNW that maybe not haven't normally done that. Basically, just a, you know, good old-fashioned trade servicing, networking, trying to help promote the markets. And also, when there are market access issues... We're trying to work to solve very, very proactively together with, uh, you know, whoever the right person to help with. Oftentimes it's FAS in the international markets. We try to make sure we get those problems solved on a very expedient basis so there's nothing that is stopping U.S. soybeans from filling virtually all the demand that is not going to China around the world. But you're also facing a situation as well in the fact that the 14 Farm Bill expired and there's a period of time here where funds that you might use through foreign market development for staff or offices is being challenged, which creates an uncertain future for you. Unfortunately, you are right about that. You know, the Farm Bill expired the end of September, and along with it, our 2018 FMD program, which is 
a source of funding that we utilize to cover international office costs, international staffing costs. We are fortunate to have several different funding sources. The United Soybean Board of the National Checkoff is our largest. FAS would be our second largest, FMD and MAP programs, and then we also receive some funding from state soybean associations and some industry funding. But without this FMD funding, uh, we have a potential hole. Now, FAS has, has, do, has done us a bit of a favor, has allocated out some reserve funds that they had available from previous year unspent money that will help us get started with fiscal 2019, so the period we're in right now. So we're kind of scraping by through the end of December, but if we don't have a new farm bill um, or some sort of a fix for FMD funding beyond the end of uh, the calendar year, then we'll start to get into um, you know some potential problems with with our international operations. And I just can't imagine that that's what um, the people who are making those decisions wants to have happening right now in a time when ag export demand is so critical to us. USDA's Economic Research Service offering some data for the month of August and showing that China's purchases were a paltry 68,000 metric tons, but a huge increase in the European Union, substantial increase. Are there other EU-type markets that are out there, or how do you identify in this short-term game countries that certainly could take advantage of U.S. soy? You know, we've gone through, as I said, this what-it-takes effort that we are embarking upon. We've looked at virtually all the markets around the world that are potential customers of U.S. soy, and we've identified, uh, you know, key newish markets for us, uh, places like Egypt, Pakistan, Bangladesh, uh, places like Mexico that's been a very good traditional customer. And, and what we're trying to make sure we do is, is maximize our market share and virtually just have you know, almost sole U.S. soybeans going into these non-Chinese markets. And so, for example, in, in the month that you talked about, China demand was only 67,000 tons down from 2.6 million last year. But at the same time, exports to other destinations were up by 1.6 million tons. So we didn't totally make up for China, but we got a lot of growth to other destinations, and that's what we need to continue to work on. So thinking about the administration and the assistance package that's been offered, obviously there's money there for producers, and a big bulk of that went toward soybean farmers. But a part of this is going to be going toward uh, helping the industry find markets globally. Is there a way that these funds can help the USEC effort? Absolutely. We are happy to see that that funding is being made available. And I talked to you a bit about the short-term efforts that we that we are embarking upon, and clearly we, we could do more if we had more resources. So we would be looking at using part of that. I think they're calling it the ATP program, so using part of those funds for short-term efforts. The other thing we're working on, and we'd already started working on this. This was really kind of a shift we made in February of this year together with USB uh, to be focusing more on basic or you know, long-term development markets, places where there's really room to grow demand based upon population, uh, improving economic conditions in the country, and very low per capita consumption of soy. And so we would take these, if we were able to access these funds, uh, we will be trying to, to do some really novel and innovative things in some of these markets. Think about places like India, Pakistan, Myanmar, uh, Nigeria, where there's large populations, but consumption is very low today. 
we think that this uh, that, that this opportunity to tap into these ATP funds could really help jumpstart some significant efforts there to teach people about the consumption of protein, to teach people about the health benefits of doing that, to help them with uh, infrastructure in things like cold chain, maybe port infrastructure depending upon their unique needs. And I think that's what U.S. farmers need. You know, we might have become too dependent upon China, and, and we've been trying to diversify. We've been trying to diversify our markets, but China kept growing, and it's hard to have, you know, have the industry not keep selling to them. Well, this has sort of been a forced diversification program, if you will, and, uh, and I think now having some of these funds available to help with long-term market development investments, I think can make a really uh, exciting opportunity for the future and give us the opportunity to do something, you know, maybe not for, for, for the farmers that are on the farm today, but the people who will be farming that land uh, 10 years from now. One side of this is the downside implication of this tariff war. And I spoke with Tom Slate of the U.S. Grains Council in January of this year, shortly after the president was talking about pulling out of NAFTA and talking about tariffs and the rest, that, that they quickly began to question us as a reliable supplier. Most in history can remember the embargo that was placed on Russia with wheat. They can remember uh, the same uh, similar situation with soy and Japan in the early 70s. Uh, Jim, is there a downside to this sudden shift in U.S. trade policy? I would say that there is. You know, these uh, unintended consequences of giving our number one competitor in terms of soybean producer in Brazil, this is giving them a lot of incentive to put more land in the production, to attract investors to help them with their infrastructure, uh, and really for them to become a better competitor. And it's and I'm talking about Brazil, but it's not only them. It's Argentina, it's Paraguay, it's Canada. You know, it's all those places. Today's situation is giving their farmers and their industry a different price signal and a different demand signal than we're seeing here in the U.S. The other thing that I think is is also troubling to me is. In a market like China, the world's largest soy consumer by far, they are working very hard today to decrease the amount of protein that they're feeding their livestock. And maybe they won't be quite as efficient, but they're doing lots of things to try and experiment with ways on how they can feed a little less soy in the diets that they, that they have for their, their swine and their uh, poultry herds. That is demand destruction, and that is really concerning to me because... You know that's so, so. So even though we wouldn't be supplying those soybeans today, uh, one of the other people around the world who's growing soybeans, now that they're not selling, you know, if China is successful with that effort, they won't supply those soybeans to China. They'll have to sell them somewhere else. So we're teaching our competitor, we're incenting our competition to produce more, and we're encouraging some of our customers to consume less. I don't consider either of those things to be good for U.S. soybean farmers. Again, talking about the long game, there was a meeting with members of the Senate Finance Committee with our trade representative, Bob Lighthizer, and he identified uh, countries like Japan, Britain, the EU, and the Philippines, uh, even Africa, as opportunities that this administration would take to try to build better relations. That's not a short-term fix. How does that play into your long game? Aside from Africa, most of those are existing markets where we have good opportunities already. But I think it's important we try and get those finalized. I was in Mexico earlier this week, 
And I tell you, the customers that I had the opportunity, customers of U.S. Soy that I had the opportunity to meet there with, are all smiling with this new USMCA agreement, with at least the negotiations for that completed. They were concerned. They wanted to have a long-term relationship with the U.S. They were concerned about you know what they were hearing and what the future may hold. So this has given them. A, a real sense of relief, and I think similarly, as we develop free trade agreements with other countries around the world, it will give similar relief to other countries, and it will show, you know, many more companies, countries, excuse me, that the U.S. wants to be a reliable trading partner. Well, during this period of time that the farmer in the U.S. is suffering with lower prices, does this afford, with a lower price from the U.S an opportunity to grow some of those markets that you're especially interested in. Absolutely. I think this gives us the opportunity to get U.S. soy into markets where we might not have been normally the primary supplier. I'm thinking about some markets in North Africa, in certain parts of Southeast Asia, where oftentimes South America was more competitive than we were. The kind of on-sale nature of U.S. soy today gives us the opportunity to go to those markets and to show people the, the U.S. soy advantage. So we think that once these people get started taking more U.S. soy, we are hopeful that that will be, be the start of a long-term trend, even when prices get back to a, main, a more normal price relationship. Jim, I realize you work on behalf of soybean farmers and the industry, and, and you're not here to lobby, but at the same time, you're in this game. So what do you need from the Congress? And what do you need from the administration to be able to do your job? I think we need to have consistent support for organizations like ours so that they know, and I'm thinking here specifically about funding support, so that we know that the resources that we operate with are going to be there and so that our teams around the world are not worried about the programs being shut down or canceled and that they're able to continue doing their work on a consistent basis throughout the year. I think we also need to see more of these trade agreements finalized. If we can show progress on a few more of these, I think it continues to build confidence that the U.S. does want to be a good trade partner, which I, I believe strongly we do. You know, we've got uh, many advantages, our, our farmers, our industry, etc. So I think being able to, to demonstrate that, I think that would be a good thing from Washington. And finally, you know, I think using this small bit of the $12 billion program, the, the ATP program, uh, helping us to be able to really utilize that to grow long-term markets, I think would be a, a real benefit for the industry. Jim Sutter, we want to thank you very much for taking time from your schedule and world travels and working on behalf of soybean farmers and the industry to speak with us here on Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and you have the last word, sir. Well, Jeff, thanks for the opportunity to talk today. I, I, I wish it was a, on a little bit different conditions, and we weren't talking about how we were trying to mitigate the problems that our, our farmers in particular and our industry to some extent is facing. But I'd like all those farmers to know that our team of USEC uh, staff around the world, uh, 140 people who work for our organization, are all working really hard, and we're surf, super focused on achieving these short- and long-term goals. We need to help move the pile of soybeans, so to get prices back up to more normal levels. You know, we're trying to also at the same time build this long-term demand base because we think that is really important for the future. Uh, if we want to continue to have a pull on U.S. agriculture, we think that soybean demand growth around the world is a great way to assure that happening. We can't, uh, we can't 
I don't I don't think we'll see that from necessarily all the other commodities. I think we need to really see soy trying to grow in order to to keep that pull on demand. Uh we also want to thank all those groups we cooperate with and collaborate with throughout the year. Uh you know, we can't do what we do alone, especially in a time like this. It takes lots of effort with other commodity groups and uh, and all of our members. So thanks for the opportunity to talk. It's uh, always great to talk with you. Again, I look forward to being back on the show sometime to talk about record exports that we're facing rather than trying to mitigate the problems we have today. Our thanks to Jim Sutter, CEO of the U.S. Soy Export Council, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Global sugar subsidies are increasing at a threat to 142,000 sugar industry jobs in the U.S. Learn more about the American Sugar Alliance Zero for Zero Sugar Policy at sugaralliance.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nelly.